we've been trying the last few weeks to unwrap Christmas, and I've sort of been joking with people that it starts to become this thing. I feel like we're debunking Christmas um, more than anything, but I love that piece because it's, it's this sort of our shared understanding of at a very young age how we're able to articulate uh, the Christmas story. And so uh, it's just one of my, my favorite things. But what I've been loving about our conversation um, has me sort of doing the fun work of um, doing some of the research for, for us about like what, what could have happened, what maybe happened differently than we think. Because here's the thing, while the Bible is the inspired word of God and is true, and we know that it happened and it took place, the details aren't as clear often as that we always think, right? So we imagine it one way through the, through the, the vision of the world uh, that we see it, but sometimes we have to challenge ourselves to go back and imagine what it must like for, for, have been like for first century people to experience that sort of thing. So while the details have been maybe unclear, and some of you are like, I don't know, I'm always going to think that it was, Jesus was born in a stable, and that's the way I'm going to think about it, and that was a great sermon that you did a while ago, but that's not what I'm thinking about it. That's fair. You can do that, because the details of the story, are, are, while are important, doesn't take away what happened, right? It doesn't take away the fact uh, that a Savior was born for us, that, that in the middle of Jesus was born in Bethlehem as a fulfillment of prophecy to come and to save all humankind. That's why we celebrate. That's why we care enough to pick apart some of the details and uncover new things because God's unending love for his people is wrapped up in this small gift. This little tiny bundle, much like Landon. I got to hold Landon again today. Not this Landon, you're too big, but I held a different one earlier today, and I was like, he grew a little bit. He's a little bit bigger today, right? It's this beautiful little baby that, that comes so innocent and sweet, but then as Jesus grew, it became an epic adventure story full of amazing stories and ministry and relationships and unimaginable things of miracles, healing the, the blind, raising people from the dead, and he started out as a baby. And so I love uncovering different aspects of the story with you. And this week we're going to focus on the aspect of the, uh, the perspective of the shepherds. And the shepherds are a little bit of a quandary sometimes, right? There's lots of things that are said about them. And some of them feel a little mm, kind of like this is the way they were seen um, it, by the world and the reality of their job. But there's also a level of like they're kind of cool. Do you know how sometimes those things play out for us? Like, in, in theory, we think one thing, but we sort of uh, play it out in our lives in a different way. That's a little bit of the shepherds. They had a very simple job, right? Uh, as far as simple mean, it wasn't difficult. It wasn't difficult to learn how to do it. It didn't take a lot of training and skill. You didn't have to be highly educated in order to become a shepherd. It was something generally that it was a family business, like most things were uh, in that day. You didn't just, I think, grow up and decide you wanted to be something else very often. If that's what your dad was, that's what you were too. And so it went. But the shepherds uh, didn't have to, have, like I said, didn't have a lot of education. Um, and it was definitely something that happened at a very young age. The, the youngest of the family would start to get to do some of those, uh, some of those duties because it was a job that 
really was for the young. I mean, you didn't see a lot of really old shepherds because it took a lot of work. I mean, they're sleeping outside and trekking and schlepping everywhere um, across these really rocky hillsides. And so it was definitely a job for the young. It was isolating, as you can imagine. If you're kind of taking sheep from one pasture to another, um, in Israel, sometimes we picture these um, beautiful... um, landscapes of uh, green hills everywhere. Um, And there are some, but not very many, right? So the the green pastures don't look uh, that luscious and fantastic. And so there's little sprouts that kind of come in between the rock. And so it takes a long time for these animals to, to graze. So they're out there for a long time, kind of away from everyone, which also means the likelihood of them grabbing a shower, not super high, Um, Our fantastic shepherd, Mark, by the way. Did you even know Mark was an actor? Mark! I just wanted this one more time. I'm always going to think now, Mark, he's a shepherd. That's all he is. He's always... Maybe he's a shepherd, not an actor. See? See what Brian did there? Maybe he's a shepherd, not an actor. I believe it. But it's this idea, right, that, it, that what did you say, that um, if it's an honest living, and if my smell bothers you, then, you know, that's your problem, right? It's that same sort of, like, the shepherds weren't necessarily the kind of people that were welcomed at a table, not necessarily because sometimes we have this impression that they were um, despised and rejected, and that was only partially true. Uh, and mostly it's because um, they were, most of them were, were Jews, but because of the way they lived, they could never keep all the laws. There are so many laws, if you remember, right, about hand-washing. The laws about hand-washing alone, they were like, well, better luck next time. We haven't washed our hands in quite some time. Maybe by the stream real quick. There was all these ceremonial things. So a lot of times they weren't welcome in the temple because they weren't prepared to go to the temple, which I thought was sort of a unique thing. It's actually, shepherds got a bad rap earlier because of, and this was, I never knew this, so I have to tell you, to say that it's important, it's not, but I know it, now I want you to know it too. Aristotle is the one that gave shepherds a bad rap. 300 years before Jesus, in a culture that wasn't his, he was like, shepherds, they're lazy, they're terrible, whatever. So that was like the thing that scholars knew, and then when we kind of go back to talk about shepherds, that's what we hear. Aristotle, he didn't know He didn't know those things. It was a culture completely different than his. And I think that's interesting that that has had such an impact on the way that we think about it when you go back to all these scholarly writings about what shepherds were like. But it was really not surprising to some of you if you've been with us for a while. We've been talking about what the religious people of the day were like and they weren't so hot. So the the shepherds that were attending these, um, these sheep we're actually just outside the, the city of David, um, right? We're in Bethlehem, and, and right near Bethlehem, right next door, actually, uh, a town over is Jerusalem. So it's not that far at all. Actually, when, when I was there with friends, it was a, a short little bus ride away. I mean, you can see it, Bethlehem. So we know that when people are going into Jerusalem, a lot of the times they are going there for festivals. They're going to bring um, their um, offerings to, to the temple. And so they need to find these wonderful, unblemished lambs in order to sacrifice. Oh, you guys. The priests were in the shepherding business. 
They would never stoop to be to actually be shepherds, but a lot of these shepherds worked for these priests because the priests had invested in uh, in in sheep's and and lambs and and all the livestock, so that what would happen? These people would come and they would have to purchase them. So it really wasn't more of a business; it was more of a racket. That they were these priests were had this this investment in raising the having these animals raised to be sacrificed, which was just more money in their pocket. But they are the ones that said, shepherds, you're not welcome here. That's interesting. That's an interesting shepherd perspective that I didn't really understand before. But beginning in the Old Testament, shepherds have a, have a pretty good, um, under, we have a pretty good understanding of shepherds. Shepherds are something that we talk about um, all throughout Scripture. If you remember, we talked about Abraham um, not too long ago. And God made his very first covenant with Abraham. And he said, you are, your children will one day number the stars. Abraham was a shepherd. He had, uh, he had in Genesis 3 says, he describes him as having much livestock, herds, and flocks of sheep. Because as they traveled, as they went to a place that God would show them, they could only travel as far as their animals could graze. The very first covenant that God makes with his people is an old shepherd. Interesting. I feel like God always is showing us surprises. This is what I think would happen, and God always seems to do the opposite of what our sort of human minds and understandings want to gravitate to. Exodus 3 says that Moses was a shepherd. Before he was a shepherd, he was Egyptian royalty, right? That's, that's how he, uh, he was uh, in a... He was the guy that was, in a, that was a baby and got sent down the river, right? His parents tried to save him. And he became Egyptian royalty. And then later, he's a shepherd. And the shepherding that he did um, was to make sure that God was preparing him to go and lead his people into the desert after he freed them from the Egyptians. He was a shepherd. He took care of his father's flock, you go to 1 Samuel 17, you can, you can read a story about that. That he's hanging out with his father-in-law, Jethro, which is a cool name. And uh, he's tending the flock. And who else was a shepherd? One of the most famous shepherds. David! David was a shepherd! Before he was ever king, he was a little shepherd boy. Do you remember? Do you remember that story? Only a boy named David, only a little sling. The first time we meet David um, in Scripture, he is uh, being called from the fields as one of the youngest uh, brothers to go and to uh, bring his uh, brothers uh, food because they're fighting against the Philistines. And he saves the day, right? Why? Because he was a shepherd. Shepherds have to, when they're out in the fields and they're doing the work that they're doing, they have to be ready. They have to be ready for anything. It's like I said, it's not a, it's not a difficult job when it comes to the, how you do it, but it's a difficult job. It's stressful. You have to be able to, to stay up and to watch because uh, you don't know what could happen to, sh- to the sheep because there's, there's the dangers that happen because of wild animals. There are thieves that come. But then, you know, sheep are dumb. 
Sheep will literally walk into a hole. And then the shepherd's got to go yank them out of there. I remember it reminds me this summer, I think I showed videos of all the ridiculous thing that sheep do. They keep shepherds really, really busy. And God is pictured as a shepherd. In the Old Testament, one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture proclaims, Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So a Jew in the first century, so, so you have on the one hand, they're gross, nobody likes them, wants them around, um, because they're um, sort of off all on their own. Uh, they, they, they don't have a lot of... Um, people in society don't think much of them. But then on this other hand, you have this long, rich history of God with shepherds. Making promises to shepherds. Preparing people by being a shepherd to lead people. Uh, he refers to himself as one. And then he connects Jesus to one. So when a Jew in the first century would be connecting these important people of their faith, Abraham, Moses, David, God, those are all very, very important. They knew that. They knew about those stories. It was an important part of their faith. So in the New Testament, when Jesus is so tightly connected to the shepherd motif, right? Matthew 2, verse 6 describes Jesus as a shepherd. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. So if shepherds were viewed as sort of these societal outcasts, it's sort of doubtful that Matthew would connect shepherding terminology to Jesus. Because he does it again in Matthew 26, 31. He says, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Right? The most powerful passage connecting Jesus to shepherds is in John 10 where he says, where Jesus discusses shepherding and he places himself as the role of the shepherd, calling himself the good shepherd. I'm a good shepherd. My sheep know me and I know my sheep. So shepherd, this, this whole shepherd thing isn't as unsuspecting as we might think. Sometimes why, why did Jesus, or why did angels appear to shepherds of all people? Shepherds? But you go back, I, I don't know. I feel like that makes more and more sense to me when we kind of take it back layer by layer. Can you put up the, the scripture for today, Josh? I said it earlier, it's one of those parts of the Christmas story that because of the way that I grew up, I know it so well, and maybe you do too. We talk about that. The familiarity of the story is just the things that we know, and then when we don't take the time to sort of peel back some of these layers, we take so many things for granted. Luke 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on, earth, and on earth peace to those of whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, 
Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told all about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. That's the familiar part of the story. That's, that's what we know and that's what we read over and over again. And we think, why did he come? Why were the shepherds the first people to know? And sometimes I think, well, they were the only ones awake. Right? In a land that was sleeping, who was awake? Shepherds. They had to keep watch. I imagine they slept in shifts. That's, that's how I would imagine. There was a, probably a night watch. That's where the younger people were. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. We'll put the 16, 17-year-olds on that watch. But can you imagine what that, what that moment must have been like? Mark did a good job of helping us recall that. You're just doing your job. You're not expecting, you're not waiting. You don't think it's going to, if this happens, if this promised Messiah comes, you're not going to be the one to know about it. Not first. This isn't something you were waiting for. You're not like the magi who were checking things out and who knew and who were expecting. You were just doing a good day's work. And can you imagine when an angel appears? I keep thinking about this. How did nobody else see that? They might have been on the outer edges of town, but with all that that light, and then, the, then they sort of like, they, I imagine that they were, it was this loud, this moment. I don't know. I don't know if, if it was sort of off in the distance if people would say, did you see, was it, what was that? Or if it were just the shepherds. They were just wondering. It. They, weren't, they weren't scholars. They weren't waiting for anything. But what I love about them is that they were ready. Freaked out for sure. Can you imagine, sometimes we say things like, um, I wish that um, God would, you know, get, wouldn't an angel be great? To, God would send me an angel to, to let me know things, to say things. Would it though? That, every time an angel of the Lord appears, they are 100% freaked out. It's never like, oh, that was so comforting. I'm so glad to know that. It always ends in some sort of terror, right? Because the presence of God there's something about it you don't expect. And they were terrified. But in the midst of them being terrified, they responded. And that's what I love. That's why I think the lessons that when we uncover about the shepherds is that we know they weren't anyone special. If they, they, less than that, they maybe were less than special. People that people didn't pay attention to. I don't even know if it either didn't care about or just full-on ignored. That's probably true. I think about that. I joke my um, brother-in-law is a garbage man. For a while, when I moved into my new place, he was my garbage man. Uh, and that's what he, he's, he, he said. It's, it's, it's a job nobody wants. He's like, I, I, have an edu- I have an education, and I was a teacher, and I did this other thing, and I didn't work out, so I ended up becoming a garbage man. Nobody knows what to say when I tell them that I'm a garbage man. Because there's a little bit of like, oh, that's nice. That's the way the the shepherds were. But the point is that Jesus came for everyone. To show that he always came to the less and the well-to-do. That it wasn't just for people uh, with money and power and influence. It was almost never 
for them first. It's for everyone, so it includes them. But he never goes there first, ever. And I just think that that's amazing. So maybe for us today, uh, Jesus is for the DeVos family, but he probably wouldn't show up to the DeVos family. He might show up to the Voss family. See, you like what I did there? That was nice. Right? The DeVosses are people with um, wealth and money and power and influence. I bet showing up to somebody like that would have changed the story, would have changed the way that it, that it played out, but he, he didn't. It wasn't the, the doctors or the lawyers or the, the people with the education. It was for the mail carriers and the truck drivers and the... So what can we learn? What I love about it is they, they heard the good news. They heard the good news. They were in the midst of being terrified and afraid. You'd think that I, I don't know how I would behave in that. What I, what I sort of, did that just happen? What just happened? Like, I don't remember anything that just, like I would go blank, I would imagine. Did that just happen? I have no idea what they said. But in the midst of all that crazy, they sort of remembered, they heard the message of the good news. And I, I feel like that's one of those things that in the midst of the life that we live, in the, in the busy, in the crazy, that, we, that God still speaks to us today, but we don't listen. I don't listen. I'm a really, I have really good aspects of being a good listener. But overall, I miss a lot. I miss a lot. That's part of the reason Alex is what Alex is for, right, Alex? She picks up the things that I miss because while I'm listening, I'm, sometimes I'm thinking about all the other things I have to do and I'm listening to you and I'm looking at you and you're saying words to me and I'm like, mm-hmm, and I'm doing all the good things to be a good communicator. But, I'm, but I have no idea what you said. And I feel like that's sometimes my interaction with, with God. I pray and I ask, speak to me, make things clear, but am I, am I paying any sort of attention? Am I looking for the ways that he's speaking to me? That, that, am I listening for those things? Am I listening to the people that he puts in my life? Am I ready to hear the message? Are you? We have these living words through the Bible. It's this, it's this love letter written to us, and, and we can read it again and again and again. <clears throat> but sometimes that can, feel, that can be an isolating thing when done alone. So when we come and we gather in community, that's part of it. That's why we love this space. That's why we love to come to worship, to be together, to do this together. But he also speaks through our life experiences, right? Sometimes we learn the most about God from the things that are happening to us right now. The good, the bad, the ugly, our circumstances in our lives, our, our, our design, the way that we do things, it can wake us up, it can take us deeper. We share our stories God speaks through his Holy Spirit. He might use the, the teachings of a, a speaker, a writer, a singer. Maybe some of you guys, I feel like, have songs that you love. Whether they're praise and worship songs or rock and roll songs or whatever it looks like. The Beatles, I don't know. You've got those things that are anthems for your life. For whatever reason, that speaks to you and it speaks God's truth to you. Are we listening for those things? Are we making sure that we're immersed in some of those things? Because often we're, if you're like me, and I have a sneaking suspicion you are, that we're just preoccupied. 
There's always something going on, something to be distracted by. And this season, when we, when we want to prepare and to wait and to hope and to be in the moment, we also have all of the things that pull us away from the waiting and the hoping and the, the being able to enjoy the season and what it's about because we've got this list of things and the stress of being with family or having family over or not burning something. We have obligations and we have commitments. We'd like to rest, but we can't. They took action. So they had this experience. They left their responsibilities to go find this baby. There's no, and I don't know exactly how it went down, but there wasn't this like, okay, shoot, shoot, shoot. Um, okay, who's going to watch the sheep? Like, should we divide? Should we go? Today's not really the best day to visit the baby, so I think we're going to go ahead and have to schedule it around a time that's going to be more convenient for us. I, right? Does that sound like conversations that you've had before, even in the midst of wonderful, great things? Like, that's the kind of people that we tend to be. I'll, later, right now, I've got all these things, but they didn't do that. They took action right away. There was action to be taken, and they went for it. They didn't wait for it to be somebody else's responsibility, but they went and they did it because they had to. What are things in my life that I take action to? Especially if I've, if I've heard and experienced the voice of God, that causes you to move. But we like to stay firmly planted and then keep waiting. Not quite yet. Not quite yet. Do you do that? I do that. What in your life needs to take some action? Where do you need to just drop everything that's not going to be the end of the world so that you can do the thing that you have been feeling called to do or nudged to do, but you've just been ignoring it? Because you know what? I don't have time. That's not for me right now. When I'm less, when I'm, when the kids, when... Right? Where in your life do you need some action? To be like the shepherds, to just drop it and to go. Enough with the waiting. And then what I love is the experience that they had, they shared it. Can you put up the, I think it's the last slide, Josh, uh, of, the, of the last piece of the scripture of Luke 2 or Eric or whoever's in charge. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said. So they had this experience. It was insane. They go, they move, they went. They took action to meet this baby, to have, I don't know, what kind of conversation that must have looked like with Mary and Joseph, and them explaining to them, like, we're here because an angel told us to. There's your jumping off point for our conversation of introduction. Right? So then they had that experience, and they went and they, and they shared it. They shared about Jesus. And in our culture today, we get stuck in that because we, um, we feel like sharing the gospel means, hello, um, yes, my name is Carrie, and um, I'd like to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not how, that's what we're talking about. It's not, it's, we don't go door to door. That's not how we roll. There are people that do, but we don't do that. It's this idea that you have to, I have to share with you Jesus, and I have to lay out 
the story of Jesus and who he is and how he came to be. And I have to make sure that I, I know and I have all my ducks in the row and I know my scripture and I can say it all. And here's Jesus and this is how it works. And would you like to be saved? That's not sharing the gospel. That's maybe a component of sharing the gospel. And maybe that comes, that conversation comes later. They had an experience that changed them and they just told people. They bore witness to the experience that they had. You have all had experiences with Jesus. Some of them, you have experiences where uh, he met you in dark places. And in the midst of those things, you're like, I don't, this is, I don't like this. And I'm hurting. But there's still part of me that knows where my comfort comes from. I had a conversation last week with um, a friend that, that is in that space. And very clearly could articulate, this is not where I want to be. This is not what I had planned or what I thought about. But in the midst, I, f I know that God is still there. I know that he cares about me and loves me. That's an experience that she's having right now and is still connected. That's something worth sharing. When we have experiences with Jesus, when we have experiences that change the way we think about things, we have to, that's our responsibility to tell. That's what it means to share the gospel, to just tell people of how you experienced Jesus. What have you seen? What have you heard? How have you experienced God? Because when we share each other, when we, when we share stories together, that's only, it's adorable right now, killing me, these babies, these babies are so cute. Uh, but when we share our experiences, that, make us, that, that just makes us stronger and better and, and gives us a glimpse into who God is. Because maybe for you, you, you you're struggling because you're, I haven't experienced God in that way. I don't know that that's true or real. But when you have somebody that shares a testimony about that, when we have people up here that share their testimonies, that changes all of you. I watch it in your faces. I hear it in your conversations after service. I see you wiping the tears away. Because that's the way we think that God doesn't speak to us today, and he does. But we have to listen, we have to take action, and we have to, and we have to be willing to share so that we can be encouraged together. Because God is moving in real ways. And he is coming to you in this time and in your place and in wherever you are. But we have to slow down. Because you're, you're worthy of it. He says, you exactly how you are right now, I'm for you. If I were coming back today, tomorrow, I'm coming for you. Let's pray. Father God, you, you're amazing and you love us in ways that are unimaginable. You, you always did things differently. Everything that we would come to maybe know and think or expect, you sort of turned that and flipped that. You didn't come to people uh, in power, but you came to, to people... Um, that were just doing their, doing their job out in the field. You came to people like shepherds. God, you come for us. You don't expect on us to, to have anything uh, lofty or exciting about who we are. You, you love us exactly the way that we are. And God, I pray that in these times we can be listening for you. God, that we can be listening for ways that you speak to us. 
that when you meet us wherever we are, if we're in the middle of something that's difficult, I pray that, that, that people will feel your presence, that you, will, uh, that you will walk with them, that you will give them strength and courage, that they will feel loved and cared for. And I pray for people that are experiencing um, great joy and, and they're enjoying this holiday season, I pray that you increase that joy uh, and that they uh, feel called and compelled um, to share the reasons why that they will proclaim your name from the rooftops because you are King of kings and Lord of lords and, and they love you with their whole hearts. I pray that we can be the kind of people that share our stories. That in Granville, we will be the place where we will be um, telling of your goodness. That we will say, we're experiencing God in this way and, and God's allowing us to buy this whole building and here's what he's doing and here's why and we're so excited. Granville, Help us to be those people. Help us to be that kind of church. God, we thank you for um, just our ability to be here to, together, to worship, to ask questions, to unpack things, to imagine. Thank you for meeting us in that place. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen.